All right, good morning. All right, this week, when, uh, when your mind goes there, think about the 120 junior high students we have at camp this week. So we're excited about that. Hope it's a great week. Yeah, and, uh, and then pray for the 240 adults that are going with them. Uh, we've got to have a good ratio, you know. Um, anyway, man, camp can be a great time, and so we're praying it's going to be a great week for them. Um, we're in the book of Genesis, and so if you have Bibles with you, take out your Bible. If you have a Bible app on your phone, that's the reason you can take out your phone, all right? And uh, go to Genesis chapter 25, book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, easy to find. Just open up the beginning, and you're in Genesis. Um, the book of Genesis is about beginnings. It's about uh, creation, and then, um, well, creation, God... There's intelligent design behind this beautiful cosmos that we, uh, we learn more and more about. And um, it was designed so that the creation can enjoy the creator. So that, that humanity can enjoy living with a creator who uh, loves them and knows them. And we can be at harmony with him. And the creation was at harmony with itself and people were to be at harmony with one another and that was the beauty of the creation. And one day, there, God says there's gonna be, he's gonna create a new heaven and a new earth where everything that was intended is gonna be fulfilled. And it's even gonna be better than that because we will understand things like grace and mercy and forgiveness and integrity and a lot of things that if you, if you don't know disappointment and pain and, and um, you, you miss out on things like healing and, um, and growth. And so we will experience what God intended, but even a, to a greater, deeper way um, in eternity. But uh, the problem with creation is as you look around now, it's like, okay, something's messed up about it. What is it? I mean, if, as long as there's people, there's always conflict. Why is that happening? And, and the Bible tells us that ultimately, um, humanity made a decision not to trust in the goodness of God. It's like, God, I don't, I don't trust that you are so good that um, I'm not missing out on stuff that if I just live life on my own. And so that, that's ultimately the big S word in religion, sin, is saying, I trust me more than you, God. And so we're doubting the goodness of God. And we're thinking that I know better. And what that does is that messes up our relationship with God. And it messed up this creation that was to be in perfect harmony with him, in perfect harmony with each other. And the result is um, uh, we've offended God. We, we've turned our back on our creator. And uh, we've lived life on our own, and that separates us from him. And so then God said, okay, um, I want to give you another chance. And so I'm going to make a way that's not dependent upon you, but it's dependent upon my goodness and my grace so that you can be forgiven. Because here's the problem with God. God's a, a righteous God. He says, I, can net, I, I cannot let sin go unpunished. So there's consequences for decisions. He's just. We like justice. Whenever we see somebody being abused or taken advantage of, we hate that. You know, scammers taking you know, advantage of people. And it's like, I, that's terrible, that's wrong. It's a sense of justice in us that comes from the character of God. 
<clears throat> so God's just, but at the same time, he loves us and he's a gracious, forgiving God. And so that's his problem. How, how can he have justice because of our independence from him and yet um, have us experience his love, which he created us for? And that resulted in Jesus Christ and that um, his plan of redemption in Genesis chapter 12, he says, through the line of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham is going to come hope to the world. My redemptive plan is to offer forgiveness to anybody willing to accept it. And it's going to come through a descendant of Abraham. Ultimately, that's the Messiah. That's Jesus Christ um, who took the penalty of sin, the consequences of sin on himself when he sacrificed himself on the cross so that God's justice could be met and yet God's um, gracious forgiveness could be offered because um, anybody who trusts in what Jesus did could receive that. And so that's his redemptive plan. That's the story of the Bible. It's God's story. It's not about, hey, look how great humans are who did great things for God. No, it's more about, look at how humans are kind of a train wreck. And yet God continually, patiently says, I can work in your life. I, I can have an impact on your life so that you can realize things you can never realize without me. And uh, it, it's just a story of the goodness of God. And so that's what we're in. And we're at chapter 25. Chapter 12 is where Abraham is told, your descendants are going to be a blessing to the world. And now we're at chapter 25, which is the very end of his life. Okay, And so we've been 13, at least 13 chapters into the life of Abraham. And here's the end of it. Uh, Genesis 25, verse 1, it says, Abraham took another wife. So this is after Sarah died, okay? They lived longer. Abraham lived to 175 years old. He was 138 when Sarah died, his wife. So after she died, or 137, after she died, he got remarried and he had a bunch more kids. Verse 2, she bore him Zimron and Jokshan and Medan, Median, Ishbak and Shua. And so over those 38 years, he had six more boys, who knows how many girls. And uh, so Abraham finished strong, uh, is I think you know, a point, but we're not gonna talk about it. Uh, <laughs> but what we did see last, last week was Abraham and Sarah finished strong as a couple. And they did not start out great. I mean, they did some really good things in following God and leaving their home in following him to a land that they didn't know where they were going, and a promise that, hey, through your descendants, I'm gonna bless the world when Sarah's not been able to have kids. And so that's been a, it was a journey, it was a trying journey for them. It resulted in Sarah at one point just saying, hey, let's take, let's take God's plan and let's make it happen ourselves. And so how we're gonna make it happen is we have, I have a maidservant named Hagar, um, I bet you she can have kids. So Abraham, uh, go, go spend time with Hagar and see if she can bear you a son and thus fulfill the promise of God. And God's like, I'm not going to do it that way. You're taking, you're saying this is a human solution to, us, to a, a, a promise that I've given you. You just need to trust me in. That solution ended up with the birth of a child and um, in broken relationship for Sarah and Abraham. Sarah said, go and do this. Abraham said, okay. Sarah said, I can't believe you did that. 
And it was dumb. Hey, hey, our Abraham should have stood up and said, this is not right. This is not God's plan. Um, but now he has a child and, um, and basically another wife, and it's a mess. It's a dysfunctional family. And, uh, and it continues to be dysfunctional. We're going to talk about that, how in the Bible, I mean, you can look at the families in the Bible and say, okay, let's look at a family that we want to model our family after. And I'm telling you, you're going to have to look really hard because I can't think of one off the top of my head. You know, and so that should be encouraging to us is look at all these people that God used and, uh, and yet they were, they were kind of train wrecks as parents. Uh, you know, weren't doing the greatest job and yet God was able to carry out his plan by patiently working with people who are flawed deeply. And so we're going to look at how, as, as parents today, can we um, take steps towards health? All right, so he had, uh, in those 38 years, he had a bunch more kids, and that fulfills Genesis 17, 4, by the way, where God promised Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. So not just the nation that are the sons of Abraham that God's going to bless and work through, but you're going to be the father of many nations and many kings, and that's how that happened. All right, so here's the first principle. As we're looking at families and how we can step towards health, being healthier than what we're reading about in the Bible, is, is family takes steps towards health when patriarchs and matriarchs finish strong. And we've seen that with Abraham and Sarah. You know, not, a, not the greatest beginning, not the greatest middle, but... They finished strong and left a legacy. And we need patriarchs and matriarchs who finish strong. Um, now, if you're thinking, okay, you know, I'm retirement, I'm empty nest, I'm, you know, the, the, the last half or the last third uh, of life. And so now it's kind of coasting, you know, into, uh, into heaven. Uh, God did some of his greatest things in people's life in the last chapter of their life. If you look, I mean, Abraham himself, um, later in life, when he was 100 years old, did he have his son that was the fulfillment of the promise of God. Moses led his people out of Egypt, okay, out of slavery, and brought him up to the door of the promised land. One of the heroes of the Bible. Moses, when God asked Moses to, I want you to lead my people out of slavery. Moses was 80 years old when God asked him, I want you to step into this. Um, Moses was followed by uh, Joshua. Joshua was the one that then led the people into the promised land. Uh, and finally, when they went into the promised land, Joshua was 70 years old when God said, okay, now I want to use you in a way you haven't been used before. I want you to lead my people into the promised land. He was in his 70s. Caleb, who was one of those people that went into the promised land, almost got to go the first time, 40 years earlier, when 12 spies were sent into the land and they came back with a report. 10 of them said, no way, man, there's giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers. They're going to squish us like bugs. We can't go in there. Two of them said, um, no, God's with us. He said, the land is ours, let's, let's go. One of those was Caleb. So 
God said, since the majority of you don't trust me, I'm gonna have a generation of you die off and I'm gonna give the land to your kids. Caleb was able to live through that and then as an 80 year old gets to go occupy the promised land. And when he goes and says, this is the part of the land that I want, you know what he asked for? This 80 year old said, I wanna lead my tribe to go to the place where we saw the giants. We saw the guys that were just totally ripped and they were huge. And it's like, who wants to go to battle against these people? Caleb says, I want a piece of them. He goes, send me, send me, God. And uh, Caleb gets to go. You know how old Caleb was? 85. Love it. I mean, this is before steroids. This is, you know, this is not like Arnold going in, but, but this, is, uh, this is an old guy who has, it's not dependent upon his gifts and abilities. It depends upon his faith in God. And so let me tell you, matriarchs and patriarchs who have trust in God, we need you. We need your wisdom. I mean, here's the, um, well, here's a verse for you. Uh, Proverbs 16, gray hair is a crown of glory. And that's, that's why I decided to go gray. Um, no, but it's gained in a righteous life. And so it's not saying, hey, growing old, man, that's just an awesome thing. It's saying growing old and having wisdom from following God, that's a sweet thing. Growing old and growing better, not growing old and growing bitter. All right, because here's, here's the thing. As we grow old, old, older, we, we can... We've been burnt, we've been disappointed. We've seen the pain of people being dumb and we've felt that pain and we have scars. We carry scars from that. We have been betrayed. We have seen leaders totally be self-absorbed and not served the way that we thought that we were going to be served. We've seen it. We are not naive. We've seen the pain. And that can make you bitter, or that could give you a, a perspective of, you know what? I'm one of those people who have disappointed people. And yet the goodness of God is, he doesn't give up on us. And I see God doing great things, if I'm willing to see it, in spite of how everything's so messed up. God's at work, and he's good. And he's been good in my life, and I've experienced his goodness and his love and there's reason to have hope that his plan is happening amidst all of this. And I can be that voice of hope and wisdom in my later years. That's, that's why gray hair is a crown of glory. If we have a perspective that brings with it wisdom. Not bitter, but better. Okay, verse 5 of Genesis chapter 25. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Okay, so we just read he had six other sons. And before Isaac, he had a son, Ishmael. And it says he's given everything he had to Isaac because Isaac is now his oldest son who lives in, um, in his home under his, through his wife, Sarah. Okay, and so there was a thing called primogenitor. This is a a sociological event that happened in ancient history that was common. Primogenitor was a common way in which people saw life. It was a value in the culture. And it was primarily birthed out of 
not an individualistic culture, but a communal culture, a culture where you say my role in life is to do what's best for the community, what's best for my family. My family's name and my community's name is more important than my name as an individual. All right. So some of the stuff we read about in the Bible, we think, oh, that is just terrible. Well, it's because we're, our culture is different. Our culture is the individual is king. And so I, is, I am king. And we, the bad thing about that is we can, we can have a tendency to think, here's me and here's the world. And it's just rotating around me. And the focus of the world is me, is my story. It's all about my story. That is not the culture that was back in ancient times. It was a primogenitor culture, which means that the father gave the lion's share of the inheritance, of the family inheritance, to the oldest son. Why? Because you wanted to protect the, the name of the family and the influence of the family. And if I had sick kids and I divvy up our resources to all six kids, well, then the impact and the name of our family just got um, diluted six times over. And so what you did is you gave it to the oldest son. The oldest son then had the resources to leverage on behalf of the name of the family. And the oldest son had responsibility for the rest of the family as well. But it all went to one son. At the very least, a double portion inheritance went to the oldest son and at at, at most, most of it went to him, okay? So that was the thinking. Because that's in the Bible, primogenitors in the Bible, talks about it a lot, um, not by name, but by, by practice, does that mean the Bible is for that? God is for primogenitors, is that what that means? No. There's lots of stuff in the Bible that the Bible is telling you this happened in human history and God was not condoning it or for it. They had multiple wives and concubines. Um, that was part of the culture. That was normal. It's reported on in the Bible. Is God for that? No, that is against God's intent for the family. And what the Bible shows us is that it ends up over and over and over and over and over again in complete train wrecks and dysfunction for these families as we've already seen in Abraham and Sarah. But that was part of the culture. So, so the Bible talks about it, not because it's for it, but because it was part of the culture. So it's saying, okay, this is what happened when God was working in this kind of a culture. Primogenitor. If you look in the, in the Old Testament, God is constantly undermining primogenitor. How? Because he's constantly picking people to work through that weren't the oldest son. He's just... He's just like saying, well, you guys think if, you know, if I have to work, I have to work within your human rules and guidelines and values. And I want you to know, I'm not bound by that. In fact, I'm going to work outside of that because many times what humans come up with is not my idea of flourishing for you when I created you. And so as a result, we see in the Bible, um, God working through and blessing Abel instead of Cain. Abel was the youngest son. Cain was the oldest son. And yet God worked through Abel, not Cain. God worked through Isaac and not Ishmael. God, as we're going to see, worked through Jacob and not Esau. God's going to work through, eventually, the greatest king of Israel is going to be the youngest son, David, not the oldest son, Eliab. 
Okay, and so God works not because of us, but, because, but in spite of us. And a lot of times he works, I mean, all the time. He's working in, in, um, through a culture that's not in line with him. And yet he's, he's doing things because it's not about how great we are, it's about how great God is. All right, so verse, now let's go on to verse 7 of 25. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. Verse nine, interesting verse. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre. Okay, if you remember back to 23, Sarah was buried in that cave that, that Abraham bought. And, um, and, bear, and Abraham was buried with her. But the interesting thing to me is, I, is Ishmael shows up. Brother, half-brother of Isaac, one that was sent off by Abraham and Sarah 60 years earlier. This is the first time in 60 years that Isaac and Ishmael are reunited. And I, you know, it's like if everybody who wants a happy ending to a movie thinks they're gonna make up. I mean, they, they, it's been dysfunction. It's, they were um, not for each other. They were in conflict. Um, their moms didn't like each other, probably hated each other. And now they've been separated as half-brothers for six years. They come back together to bury their dad. And that's the last time we ever hear of them being together. No reconciliation. No mending old wounds. No forgiveness. The Bible does tell us when Ishmael dies and he's buried and no mention of Isaac going and uh, mourning his brother. Broken family, dysfunction. So one of the things we need are matriarchs and patriarchs that have the wisdom and the grace to be extended within a family and the modeling of that. And what, what have they seen? I mean, they have seen our moms hated each other, were at war against each other, has led to us being at war against each other. And now as um, Isaac has Jacob and Esau, they're gonna keep the same warring going. It was just, they were modeling conflict and not modeling resolution. And it continues. Verse 24. Now this is um, Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. And oddly enough, they have trouble conceiving kids, just like Isaac's parents did. And so Isaac prays that, God, would you give us a child? And God answers those prayers as well. Verse 24. And when Rebecca, when her days to give birth were completed. Behold, there were twins in her womb. And by the way, earlier it says that they were constantly, they were fighting in the womb. And so much so that, that Rebecca goes, hey God, what is going on? You know, and, and God said, hey, yeah, well, you're gonna give birth to, um, you have two nations in your womb. It's like, what? And she said, you, you have two sons who are gonna be the father of nations, Israel, and Edomites. 
And they are a battle with one another, and so will their descendants be. And if you, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, and you read about the people of Israel who are wandering through the wilderness, and they're constantly having a thorn in the flesh, it's the Israelites being attacked by the Edomites. Okay? Um, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, father of the Israelites. Esau, father of um, the Edomites. And when her days came completed, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, and his body was like a hairy cloak. And so he was a redhead who had a, was, you know, just came out with a, with a fur coat. And, uh, and they called his name Elmo. No. Um, <laughs> they called his name Esau, which means hairy. In verse 26, and afterward his brother came out, with his hand holding Esau's heel. And so his name was Jacob, uh, which means heel catcher. And it, it, it means somebody who uh, is going to trip up others. It's like, what a great thing to live up to. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. And Rebekah loved Jacob. Favoritism. Brutal. Is that going to help resolve conflict? No. Esau is daddy's boy. And Jacob is mama's boy. They had favorites, and the kids knew it. And what does that do? That, that just causes conflict. It causes conflict. Favoritism, no good. Now, if you've had more than one child, um, if you're like everybody else, it's probably shocking. Saying, okay, these children came from the same parents, and look how different they are. I mean, different personalities, dispositions, how they make decisions, how they respond to, to conflicts and heartaches. And, and they're just unique. So the challenge for us as parents is, I mean, no doubt you will relate to one more than the other. But that's, but that's not favoritism. That's just a reality, right? But what you do is you embrace them and love them and you let each of them know equally how much you love them in their uniqueness. It's like the one that's like you, it's like, oh, I so get you, I so relate to you, I would have done the same thing. And you talk about that, you can relate to them that way. And then the one who's not like you, you know what, there's things in your child who's not like you that you go, oh my gosh, I wish I was more like that. Let them know that, okay? Different, but loved. We need to let our kids know that there's no favoritism. We love them both. Um, and this didn't happen with Isaac and Rebecca's kids. Um, verse 29. One, uh, once when Jacob was cooking stew, so he is a great chef. He loves doing that. Esau's out um, in the field, maybe hunting, maybe working the fields. We don't know. But he comes back and he's exhausted. He is spent. And Isaac said to or Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom Red. Um, Jacob said, 
okay, sell me your birth right now. It's like, what? I mean, your brother is hungry. I mean, he, he's hangry, you know, and, and he wants food. Now, if, uh, any of you raised teenage boys? Yeah, how, it's almost impossible to keep the pantry stocked. The refrigerator, I remember growing up, my brother, I don't know how many gallons of milk we drank a day. You know, we would, we would go and get the salad bowl in the morning and then pour like a whole box of cereal and pour milk in it. And that's what we, we it was, you know, it was not uh, well-mannered, but you know, we were, we were like Esau, we're hungry. We, we gotta eat. And we ate, and, and this is Esau. I mean, he's coming in and he is famished and he needs to put away the groceries. And uh, Jacob knows it, but Jacob also knows. My brother is so impulsive. When he gets like this, he's mindless. And Jacob takes advantage of the situation. 32, Esau said, um, I'm about to die. And so what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And when Jacob gave Esau, or then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup, and he ate and he drank and he rose and he went away, and then Esau was ticked. He despised his birthright. He knew exactly what Jacob did. You're just taking advantage of me. You know, I, I couldn't think of anything except getting some food. And what Esau did is he sold his inheritance for a cup of soup. Dumb, really dumb. And Jacob knew my brother acts like he was hit by a dummy stick when he's hungry. And I'm gonna use that to my advantage and his disadvantage. And it was evil and it was wrong and it was dumb. And so Esau basically gave up that birthright, a primogenitor, which is a financial impact, huge financial impact. We know Abraham was wealthy. That went to a son, Isaac. And then his son, Isaac, would pass it on to his oldest son, Esau. But Esau's saying, I'm willing to give up the equivalent of millions of dollars if you just give me a bowl of soup right now. I mean, I don't care how good that soup was. I mean, I would have demanded at least I need a steak. You know? um, but it's just ridiculous. And Jacob knew it and took advantage of it. And the blessing is not just a financial blessing, but it's a blessing. Um, the father blesses the oldest son and speaks into him. And it's, it was called a blessing, but it's not like, um, hey, I wish you well. No, it's speaking into your son. And how many of us want this? I mean, how many of us grew up in homes where you would have loved to have your parents speak into you such love and depth that it filled your deepest parts of your soul? I mean, you, you, you yearn for that. And that's what the blessing of a father to the eldest son was. It was messed up because our blessings need to go to all of our children that way. But Esau said, I gave that up. And Jacob so wanted it because he, he wasn't getting the love of his dad. He was mama's boy. 
And yet he so desired the affirmation of his father that he would do anything to get it, stealing it from his brother. So here's the principle for us. Families take steps towards health when parents bless each of their kids, each of their children. Blessing means to bestow prosperity and goodness, but it's, it's not just um, surface level. It, it's to where your child's um, deepest needs are being met by your love and words into their life. It's pretty powerful, really powerful. Now, as parents, I want you to know that you can be great parents and have kids that do dumb things and kids that end up wandering away from what you hoped, what you hoped for them. Because our kids have minds of their own. And your kids' decisions are their decisions. And your kids' decisions are reflective, about, are reflective of them and they're not a reflection on you. Who you are is separated from your kids and their decisions. And it's hard to do that. I mean, somebody says some bad things about your kid, you get so defensive, why? Because you're protecting them? No, because you are personally offended. You, you take it personally. And the truth is, is you can do well as a parent and have kids that don't end up the way you want. It's because they have, they have their own mind. They have their own decisions. All we can do is, is provide an environment to give our kids the best chance to grow up as adults who are people of integrity, who know what it likes to experience God in their life and walk with them through life. I mean, that's our prayer. Um, what can we do about it? Give them an environment. That, that helps them experience that. Does it mean it's gonna happen? Nope, outside of our hands, out of our control. But it means before God, um, we're giving our, our kids the best shot. Um, so how do we do that? How do we try to build that environment? So I just got four things for you and we're gonna wrap it up here real quick. But, um, so let me just talk about them real quick. How do we bless our kids today? Um, you protect your marriage first. If you have children and you're still married, then your first priority is to grow your marriage. Um, our kids can run our lives, okay? Because we love our kids. We want the best for them. We want to give them opportunities that we didn't have. You, want to, you don't want them to miss out. Um, but we live in a culture where as parents, we think our number one responsibility is our children, and it's not. Our number one responsibility is our marriage. God said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And it's talking about the two most important human relationships there, parent-child, husband-wife, and it's saying one of them you're to look at as permanent, and the other one as temporary. Which one's permanent? You'll leave your mother and father and cleave to your wife. It means husband, wife. It's a permanent bond. You, the number one 
priority you have in human relationships is to grow your relationship with your spouse. Then your kids. All right. And we can, um, we can sacrifice everything for our kids' schedule. And what I'm telling you is, I mean, love and serve your kids, but protect, build in time to build your relationship as husband and wife. Go on weekends away, the two of you, without your children. They will survive. Now, you just don't leave them home and say, okay, seven-year-old, good luck. We'll be back on Monday. No, I mean, you, you got to, but you, that's part of putting the work in to build your marriage. The best gift you can give your children is a growing, healthy marriage. Don't neglect it. Don't allow your kid's schedule to dictate, we just don't have time or resources because all of our money is going into our kid's extra events, extra activities. Man, no, you need to get ahead of it and make sure you protect your relationship with your spouse and do things to build it. Go on dates, go on weekends alone. I mean, I remember when we had young kids and uh, we went on a, a weekend, we went actually on a conference together and um, I just was just struck by, who is this woman? I forgot about her. You're the person I married. And it's because so much energy and effort is going into the demands of taking care of your kids that you didn't have your best for each other. And, and you need to make time in order to get reacquainted and to grow your relationship um, with your kids. And by the way, if, if you're a single parent, and you're going, yeah, Bill, you're just heaping guilt on me. I, that, you're not in plan B. You're not now a second. Here's, you know, not God's best for you. Here's God's second. But no, God can work in you and be a parent for your, for your child that, um, that is just what your child needs. But if you're single, your child is watching you and how you're dating and how you're looking at how, do you need a spouse? How needy are you? What are you compromising in order to try to get one? And if, if you're a man, a single man with, with, with kids, and you have boys, your boys are watching how you treat and respect women. Your kids are learning from you. And so, respect that marriage relationship and treat others well. Um, because the second point, um, mentor by modeling is, is how you live and the integrity of how you live is going to mean more to your kids than what you say. Um, if you are really growing as a follower of Jesus, then, uh, take your kids on that journey with you. Talk to them about it. This is what I'm learning. Here's mistakes I made. Hope you don't make those mistakes, but here's what I'm learning as a result. And man, the benefit of, of following God instead of doing things my way. You know, I'm in debt. I made some stupid decisions. I was impulsive and I, I got in debt and um, I feel like it's, it's impacted my attitude around home because I'm tense. It's, it just weighs on me. 
And I don't want to carry that, and I'm not going to do that again. And learn from my mistakes. I mean, talk to them about what you're learning and how you're growing, and nothing's going to impact your kid's life um, more than seeing mom and dad growing as followers of Jesus. Three, um, parent them for their future adult self. Uh, It hurts to see your kids hurt doesn't it? And so the natural inclination is to try to uh, soften the pain, try to rescue them from the pain. And a lot of times that's a very selfish thing because what I want to do is I want to stop the hurt in me. And it hurts me to see my kids hurt. But if I'm thinking, I got to prepare them for life. The Bible says no temptation is overtaking you, but, is, but such as is common to man. Here's what that means. You're gonna go through pain and trials and difficulty, and so are your kids. And so while they're under your house, your job is not to protect them from pain or consequences, but your job is to, is to coach them on how do you walk through pain and difficulty of life in a way that where you, you still trust God, and how, um, how do you deal with conflict, and how do you try to resolve conflict and how do you deal with people who are really unloving and think that you're an idiot because you believe the things you do? How do you do that well? You don't try to avoid those things, but you're just happy they're happening while they're under your house so that you can encourage them and coach them and walk with them as they go through the pain. Because if they become adults and they've been protected from pain and hardship their whole life, they are not gonna know how to live a a life honoring to God when they think the world rotates around them and the world should be protecting me from pain. And that's a bummer. We've done our kids a real disservice when we've done that. And so coach them, walk with them, because I'm preparing them to let them go. And so I'm thinking when I let them go, I wanna have confidence, at least some kind of confidence that they're ready to be an adult and make adult decisions because they know what there's consequences to making stupid decisions. And they've, they've experienced and they know they don't want to do it. Last thing, for affirm and build up. Um, you know, it, it's easy to take shots at your kids. It's easy to uh, point out weaknesses. Um, but I want you to know, I mean, everybody can do that. Just look at the internet. You know, look at any chat and just see the vile coming out of people's mouths as they're evaluating other people. A fool can spot weaknesses in others. A genius is the one who sees the good, who sees the, the, the efforts of faith, who sees forgiveness, who sees the acts of, of reaching out to somebody who's being left out sees it and calls it out and praises it. I mean, let's praise our kids for the strengths and abilities and the selfless acts that they do and the things of generosity towards others. Man, let, let's, let's raise the bar. So this is, this is what I'm seeing in you and how God is working you in your life. And you, and you don't even realize the impact that has on the lives of others when you're so caring and so sensitive and you listen and let's raise the bar and they aspire to live up to it instead of taking pot shots and undermining them with the weaknesses that we see. We all have them, don't we? We all have them. 
And so let's speak truth and encouragement and compliment our kids. The last thought for you is, is we're talking about perfect parents here. Parents that want to bless, leave a blessing to their children. And here's the cool thing. God wants to be that kind of father for you. Maybe you didn't have that kind of father. Maybe you didn't have that kind of parent. But God sees you and he knows you. And he loves you. And he's cheering you on. And he sees the flaws and he sees the the dumb mistakes. And he sees the things that you beat yourself up over. And God says, I love you. And I'm for you. And whenever you turn to me, I'm there with open arms. And I want to walk with you. You know, there's a lot that I just went over right there. But uh, just grab one thing. One thing that's an encouragement to you. One thing that you was motivated that I need to step into this more. Um, and have that be God's rhema to you. God's word to you in your life and where you're at. And then maybe you're in a place in your spiritual journey where you're just understanding how good God is and that he can be trusted. He's not a giant killjoy waiting to squash you, but he, the, the hard thing about accepting the goodness of God is that it's just so amazing. And God says, you know, even though you run from me, even though you turn your back on me, even though you don't trust me, um, I'm standing ready to forgive you. And I want to adopt you as my child. And that happens as we um, recognize that, God, you've made a way for me to be forgiven. So I'm trusting in you and what you've done for me so that I can be your child. If you're there in your spiritual journey, then let's just take a second and pray. And for those of you who have already made that decision, you talk to God about um, what he's talked to you about today. And uh, how you're going to trust him because he's good. And for those who are ready to uh, trust a good God by surrendering to him, you might just say, God, I I know you love me. And I want to know you. And I ask for your forgiveness for ignoring you, for walking away from you, for not trusting you. And I ask you to forgive me and adopt me as your child. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you just made that decision, uh, congratulations. This is the beginning of a journey with God. It's, it's, it's a new chapter. And so we want to help you in that journey. And, and one very simple way to do that, as soon as we're done today, go out to that middle station and let them know that you prayed um, with me today. And uh, they will give you just a, a sheet of information that's very simple but very practical on how you can begin growing this new relationship with God and understanding who he is and who he says you are as his child. And if you're watching with us online, uh, thanks for joining with us. If you prayed along with me today, um, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps. Fill out the information and let us know how we can get um, that sheet of information to you as well. And we gladly do it. Uh, Thanks for being here. And we're going to continue to worship.